All right, church. Well, we're back together online for another opportunity to worship the Lord. Let's really lean into this time of worship. Do 
Hello, my internet people. It is so good to be with you. Worship team, thank you so, so much. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we'd love to pray for you. We know that there's just stuff going on in your lives, and we would just love to partner with you in prayer. Please text any prayer request to 97000, and we will pray for you this week. There is so much going on here at ABF. If you are interested in knowing about those things, about ministries and events going on, please check out the website. The calendar is always updated. You can get any information you need there on the website. Also on the website, if you've been blessed by this ministry, this online ministry, these messages every week, and you'd like to give financially, man, that is such a huge part of keeping this thing going. And so if you're interested in giving, you can do that online on the website under the Give tab. Uh, Man, that would be a huge blessing for us. Thank you so much for continuing to partner us in giving. Uh, Now we're going to get to our time in the Word, and I would just love to pray for that time together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you that we get to continue to do this. Um, Thank you that these videos get to continue to go out and that people can access them so easily that your word is at our fingertips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just use the teaching of your word today uh, in just a sweet way. Would you meet us exactly where we're at and say exactly those things to our heart that we need to hear, Lord? We pray that you just convict us and stir in our hearts now. We love you, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh. Excited to be back together, and we're plowing our way through the book of Hebrews. I was looking, and we're in week 23 of this study. It's quite possible this might have been the very longest of the studies we've done since I've been on staff here at ABF, but we just have this week and next week to go. Uh, Excited to finish. We're in chapter 13. If you want to start turning your Bibles there with me, working our way through this chapter, getting through verse 16 here today. As you're turning there, I was thinking just this past week, it's always strange to me when you consider how hostile the outside world can be towards Christ followers. A friend of mine is uh, really actively involved uh, with the the Gideons and has these different opportunities to help distribute Bibles, whether it's in hotels or sometimes outside of schools, handing them out. He's talking about like, man, he's like, it seems like it's escalating with the uh, just resistance to anything related to uh, the Bible. In fact, he's talking about being at a, a school in Pasadena just a, a few weeks back. And he was just like, we were out there just giving out free Bibles. And, and uh, just he was like shocked at how many people driving by would be cursing at him, giving him the, the middle finger, telling him to go to hell, all of these things that you're like, what in the world is happening? He, he said he had one particular woman that, that came up to him and said, what kind of a person are you to be doing this? You're like, wait a second. Is, is nobody familiar with actually what God's word calls us to? Like the, the things that actually are outlined as a Jesus follower, think about some of them. We're called to be loving to our neighbors. We're called to serve the poor. We're called to obey those in authority over us, to be committed to our spouse, to share with others, to to love well, to be content. All of the, the things, if we were all doing those things, we would be the best possible citizens on the planet. 
So it's strange that there's so much resistance to what God's word actually calls us to. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily how the world always views the Christ follower. Unfortunately, a lot of times we're more seen as somebody that's, uh, that's judgmental or hypocritical or, 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 or difficult to be around. And really, it's heartbreaking that that's the case. And sometimes it's justified their viewpoints, but sometimes not. We were warned that Jesus was real specific and said, listen, they're going to hate you like they hated me. So we shouldn't be shocked by it, but we don't want to provide fuel for the fire. We want to live in a manner that we're living above reproach, that there's really no case or argument for their disdain. We can't do anything about irrational disdain for the gospel, but we definitely can do something about living in line with what scripture calls us to. We're invited to a life where we're a light. I love how Matthew 5, 14 describes what this type of life looks like. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're known, we're intended to be known as bright people, people that are, that are shining, that are an example, that demonstrate love and grace and patience and uh, meet people's needs and are actively involved, caring for people, faithful to our spouse. All of these things are outlined even in this section of scripture as he's calling us to what it looks like to live a bright life life as bright people. Let me, let me just pray before we explore this section of scripture. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to come back to some of the fundamentals. And this section definitely does that, brings us to some foundational things that we're called to live as we engage with the world around us. We know that we can't do of any of it in our own strength. It's not a matter of working harder or trying more, but we, more and more we submit our lives to you. We, we turn over the reins and let you guide and direct our days. These things are possible. Otherwise, you wouldn't call us to it. I pray that you'd speak to us in this text, that we'd be free of distraction and really get to consider and wrestle through what area are you speaking to me about this morning? What area are you charging me to today, God? We invite that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so picking up chapter 13, it starts with these words. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. All right, so we'll pause there just with that first verse, and it's really a, a big idea that kind of connects to the last section of Scripture that we're in. If you remember last week, the last charge that we had was to love and worship our God in awe and wonder because he's a consuming fire is to elevate him appropriately. And it's interesting the connection you consistently see in Scripture. First, the charge to love God then there's always the, the partner in that, the call to then love people. 
So love God, love people is a reoccurring theme. In fact, 55 times in the New Testament we're commanded to love people. Here the author uses the word for love, the same that we get the word Philadelphia with, of a brotherly love for people. This brotherly love is intended to be extended both within the church and outside of the church. Both would be categories of the people that were called to love. But I would suggest that starting within the church is a great place to start. Figure out how, hey, this is a a great practice zone, if you will, within the body of Christ, kind of working out the kinks of how we do a good job of loving each other. And I know and recognize, even as the, the lead pastor, that we're not a perfect church, but man, we get a lot of things right as it relates to loving each other. Hopefully that's been your experience with encounters here at our church, some people that are really walking in the spirit and doing a good job of of caring for and meeting needs. I remember some years back when we had first moved into our home there in Thousand Oaks, I had mentioned from up front that we were doing some different painting projects around the house and trying to get it all uh, ready for, for move in. And it was so cool just that week, right after mentioning it in a sermon, that we had a, a father and a daughter that showed up at our house with paintbrushes in hand, ready to help out. I was like, man, how cool is that? Then it was strange to me last week because I mentioned the problem that we have with weeds around my home. I didn't have anyone show up at my house this week. Now I'm just teasing, but the idea here is that we're figuring out how to, to practice this love thing. And here's the reason why I say practice this love thing is because in the flesh, love doesn't come natural. We do a great job of loving ourselves. In fact, a lot of psychologists will tell you, well, before you can love others, you have to figure out how to love yourself. And you're like, ah, that's actually something that we have a bent towards that's more natural. But instead, it takes work and intentionality to practice figuring out how do I elevate the needs of those around me? How do I I elevate the the needs of a brother or sister or a spouse or a friend? How how do I do that? It takes thought. It takes slowing down and and wrestling through what, what can I do today to like, hey, help make their load maybe a little bit lighter. So it starts with that. Notice that it does and expand on that, just not just loving, but also refers to helping and serving strangers. I was thinking about that this week in my study and what a tendency we have in our world. I don't know if it's always been like this. In our culture, there's a tendency to stick with the people that you know. We're really good at, at caring for people that you know, and you know, I, I'm, I'll go the extra mile for somebody that I ha- already have a relationship with, this, but, with, but this is calling us to something more. This is calling us to love even and meet needs, or here says show hospitality to strangers, so somebody that we don't necessarily know personally. Looking for opportunities to do that even in your week. Obviously, we want to show some degree of discretion just for the sake of safety. You still want to avoid white vans with no windows and you want to not take uh, candy from strangers except on Halloween. All of these things use common sense, but the uh, serving the needs of strangers, meeting them. It's interesting what it says is kind of it seems like what it's saying that it says, man, because you may be hosting angels. 
What is that talking about? You see, in Scripture, there's examples of this. If you want to do your own study of Genesis 18 and 19, it describes Abraham, who is helping three strangers. And of those three strangers, they ended up being two angels in the Lord himself. It's interesting because you're like, what is the point that the author is making? I don't believe that it's giving us the basis for hospitality is because it might be angels. It's not like you're serving somebody and you're like, all right, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the the time that it's going to be an angel. This time it's actually going to happen. That's not what it's saying. Instead, I believe that it's reminding us of how important and far-reaching our acts, simple acts of service and kindness can be. It can really have an impact on others. And so it's giving us that charge. But I can't help but ignore the idea that that is potentially a part of reality that we experience in this lifetime. You may have had an encounter with an angel and never known it. My wife, Adrian tells the story, and she's uh, definitely not somebody that sensationalizes things, but she tells the story of when she was 18 in 1994. She was on a missions trip or uh, going from kind uh, kind of throughout Europe, and she was heading from Brussels to Paris. And in that, that trip, she was supposed to meet with a group of missionaries that were going to give her the plane ticket for the next leg of her race. And for whatever reason, signals got crossed, and she in, there in Brussels airport could not find this missions group. I don't know if, how that happened, but this was in the day two things. This was, pre, this was pre-cell phone, and this was also pre-digital uh, tickets. You had to, maybe if you're older, old like me, you remember the day and age where you had to have a hard copy of a ticket to hand somebody or you are not getting on a plane. She describes the degree of panic and she was really calling out to God as an 18-year-old, man, I, I need rescue here. And out of nowhere, a, a woman dressed in, uh, as working for the airlines, her name um, was On Hale, uh, she remembers that name and stuck with her. And she said that just this woman kind of came out of nowhere, said, hey, let me help you. Took her hand, marched her right through security, never showing a passport, never showing any kind of a ticket, marched her right through there, straight to the plane, got her onto the plane, uh, set her off, got her going with really no ID uh, shown, no hard copy ticket shown. She's just like, it was unbelievable. Nobody would typically have that a power and authority to move you through the lines. About three or four months later, she ended up back in the same airport there in Brussels and wanted to find and track down this woman just to say thank you. So she went up to the the gate where she was working. This is about three months later and asked one of the workers and says, was is Onhale actually working today? I wanted to thank her for helping. And the woman that was there, the gentleman that was there looked at her strangely and said, you know, we've We've never had somebody with that name working here. It's just interesting. And you, you, can't, you can't convince Adrian now that that wasn't God intervening in her situation, providing. Now, you could make an argument, oh, it's just could have been anybody. But I believe, and Scripture points to, encounters with angels even in this lifetime. Kind of cool to think about that reality. 
All right, we'll come back from the, the edge on that topic and get back on the, the text of this, these different charges that it's giving us for bright living. Verse 3 says this, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. All right, some uh, explanation here. It starts with a specific group that he's charging them to serve and meet needs and then moves to more of a broader group. The specific group, you see it right there in the text, is refers to prisoners. In this case, most likely, it's those who have been imprisoned because of their faith, as this audience most likely all knew somebody in that situation. It's kind of an interesting charge. It says that they're supposed to be uh, elevating that and making that a priority to meet people that have been kind of on the outside. So often we're uh, prone to kind of the out of sight, out of mind mentality, but he's calling us to look for opportunities to, to meet the needs of prisoners. Love talking to a gentleman in our church that's been faithfully serving with a prison ministry for many years, just on a regular basis, going out to Ventura, sitting down, having a Bible study with these uh, uh, inmates and blessing. I, I love those opportunities that even people in our church take to, to serve and meet needs. In that day and age that our audience is reading this, they didn't have a government subsidized prison system. Basically, if you're in prison, you either have a contact and somebody bringing you your needs or you are in big trouble. He's charging his audience to don't neglect, don't forget the person that maybe the rest of society has forgotten. It's kind of an interesting statement because it says, as though in prison with them. What does that mean? I believe it points to the golden rule outlined in Matthew 7, 24. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. It expands the description to not just the prisoner, and it refers to anyone who has been mistreated. We had the opportunity here early in the year as uh, everything was unfolding in Ukraine to, to step up and try to come alongside one of our missionaries uh, over there in the region, Chip, and kind of come alongside with him. It was really neat to see how many of us as a church family uh, chose to come alongside and support uh, the, the mission effort there. And so Anyway, it's just really cool. We're going to have an opportunity even with Camp ABF this next week to be able to bless and minister or continue to minister to Ukrainians there. It says last thing in that section, says also in the body. It says mistreated since you also are in the body. I think that's the idea that we're not just trying to have a spiritual impact, but sometimes there's material needs. People are in the flesh. We can't just wish them well spiritually without addressing some of the physical needs. So care for the less fortunate. Next section, be faithful to your spouse. Another part of bright living. What does it say? It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We'll stop there to, to talk about that a bit. This, uh, this picture uh, of first it's charging us to hold marriage in high honor. 
Uh, I don't know where along the, uh, the process in our day and age and our culture, where it uh, transitioned, but I'll tell you, you don't have to look very far to see marriage is not something that is regularly honored or held in high regard. In fact, turn on most any sitcom and anything related to marriage, it's usually, if anything, something that's mocked. Describing that person as being, oh, they're, they're prisoners or they're missing out on all the good stuff that life would provide. Well, here he's calling us back to God's design. God put marriage in place and he's telling us to honor it. Because why? Because it's a picture of even his relationship with the church, the bride and the groom. This, this, this picture that's intended to be something that's elevated and held in high regard. It charges them not just to honor marriage, but also expands on what we discussed last week of not defiling the marriage bed, not defiling the marriage bed. And that picture, we talked some about it last week, but more here today, it's something that can happen either before marriage or during marriage. You can betray the marriage bed. It's interesting, again, with our culture, because it's the opposite of uh, what our car- cultural message is. We're usually shown that the person that's sleeping around and, and has multiple partners, that man, they are living their best life ever. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. The more they study and understand sex, they realize that when you actually have sex with somebody, there's a, a piece of you that's being left with that person. And it's something that leaves you when with multiple partners, leaves you just with an emptiness that can't be explained. He's warning us. And this is the idea. He's not trying to keep us from something that's good. He's kind of He's instead trying to protect us so that we can enjoy what is intended to be a gift from God within the boundaries of marriage. Sometimes in our culture, we also see that bringing somebody back to some of these parameters and these guidelines is like, well, that's not very loving. Let them do what they want to do. But in the same way, warning a car heading off of a cliff about the cliff is an act of love similar for those of us that are charging people to come back to God's design, marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime, staying faithful to that covenant. That's what we're charged to. And it's an act of love when we bring people back to God's plan and design. Just to clarify even further what it, said, what it means to, to not defile the marriage bed, there's a second side to that of not neglecting it either. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5 reminds us the importance of sex within marriage and specifically tells us not to deprive our spouse. There's both sides to it, not going outside of the marriage bed, but also making sure that you're investing in that part of your marriage. Continuing, just all of these things outlined as what does it looks like to, to live a life that's different, that the world looks in and says, man, I'm drawn to that. That's attractive to me. Verse five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, another reoccurring 
theme in scripture, this charge not to fall for the enticement of money. You see, whether we realize it or not, money is not just a medium exchange, medium for exchange. It's a rival God. It's something that can receive the object of our affection if we're not careful. And it's very enticing to do that. So how do you resist? How, do you, how are you free from the love of money? It gives the, the solution to right there in the text. Do you see it? It says, be content with what you have. It's kind of a, a reminder of how do you break free of the grip of the love of money? Man, when you choose a life of contentment. In Timothy, we're told, 1 Timothy, we're told that with contentment, there is great gain. What does that mean, great gain with contentment? Man, there's a certain degree of a exhale when you finally step away from this never-ending pursuit of more, more, more. Got to have bigger, better, more of this, more of this. Man, when you just release that and just be content. So many times whenever I get back from some kind of a serving trip, something overseas where you're around impoverished people, people that are genuinely in need, you always are reminded that you come back into your world here and you're just like, man, I will never complain again. It brings a new level of gratitude of God's provision and care for us, especially in this part of the world. So how do we choose contentment? There's some practical things that we can do with that, but a lot of it happens behind the scenes in our mind. But I think some of the practical things, I, I have a practical suggestion, stay away from a few key places unless you absolutely need to go there. I'll give a, a practical in this area. Stay away from Costco. Stay away from Target. Stay away from TJ Maxx. Stay away from the local mall. It's so often that you don't even realize you must get something until you show up in one of those stores. Now, I'm not saying boycott any of those areas. If you have a need, obviously, you can have those met. But there's something about choosing contentment and saying, you know, I'm not going to keep on chasing those things. Invites us to that. And in that day and age, this was talking to an audience that legitimately had things that they were lacking. He's reminding them of where their trust and hope should be. It's a kind of a, a cool picture if you think about it. He's describing, he says, and this is a, a trust thing. He says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Just before that, I'll never leave you, forsake you. He has you. For those of you that are watching the news like me and get a little bit concerned about the economic state of our country and even further that our world, this is a beautiful reminder. It's a trust exercise. He's exercised. He's a faithful God. He has you. He's going to care for you. He's going to meet your needs. He's something, somebody that can be trusted. And it's interesting when you think about it, when all of a sudden those worries and fears, when you are releasing them and turning them over to the trustworthiness of our God, then you're able to say exactly what it says. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When it no longer has a grip on us, all of a sudden the, the grip that man and the fear that it wants to instill around us, all of a sudden it's no longer there when you have the mentality of contentment first and second, God has got this. 
continue in the text just with all of these wonderful charges as we've moved definitely towards the practical in our section of Hebrews. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. To me, that's always one of the more intimidating passages or sections of scripture whenever there's the charge to follow the example of your leaders, especially when you're in a position of leadership. Because I fully recognize, yes, I'm trying my hardest to follow Jesus Christ, but I also have the tendency to fall on my face on occasion. I saw this video this uh, past week that just cracked me up for the, the plight of the leader. You're charging people to do things but you also know that there's no guarantee that it's always going to go perfectly or smoothly. Check out this video just for a quick second. So us teachers would never ask you students to do anything we wouldn't do ourselves. Kind of a, a disturbing thought of the charging somebody and then landing right on your face. But here's the thing that's the important part of this description, I believe, of who we choose to elevate and who we choose to follow is in the charge. It says, remember your leader, those who spoke to you the word of God. So when he's charging them which leaders to follow, it needs to be a leader that's grounded and rooted in God's word. It always breaks my heart when I'm talking to somebody that's going through a really difficult time and they, they mention that they're in counseling and they're getting support and you're like, well, that's awesome. And I'm like, ask, tell me a little bit about your, your counselor. Are they, a, are, they, are they a Christ follower? Are they giving you counsel that's rooted in God's word? And they're like, no, they're what my insurance covered or no, they're, they're not necessarily that. But, but here's the thing in the charge that I would say is be careful the counsel that you receive. If it's not grounded in and rooted in the word of God, man, just because someone's been elevated to a position of a authority does not mean that they're necessarily worthy of following. Follow, that's why I put in this section, follow biblical leaders. Moving on for the sake of time, and there's so much in this text, Verse eight, I've titled this, hold fast to your beliefs. It says this in verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. That was what they were, uh, dietary stuff they were committed to, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured." For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, that can be a seemingly confusing section. I fully acknowledge that. But let's look at the first, the, the big idea that it starts with. The big idea is Jesus does not charge, the, that Jesus uh, charges them that, that he, he's not changing. 
his teaching. We're to stay the course with the foundation of God's word that's been laid before us. There's such a temptation to want to wander from that, to find new teaching. You think about how many of even present day world religions are additions to the Bible. Think about the the, the Muslim faith that has the additional teaching from the prophet Muhammad. Think about the Mormon faith who has the visions from Joseph Smith completely ignoring the book of Revelation, which in chapter 22, verse 18 says, do not add a single word to this scripture. In fact, it even warns them of the risk of experiencing the plagues of Egypt if you do. So what the text is starting with is, hey, hold fast to what you believe. It's don't look for the next newest, greatest thing. Instead, stay with what you know. And with his audience, the temptation for them, the audience that was wanting to find some kind of a merger between the Judaism they had grown up with, that was very strict with dietary restrictions. They had followed all of these rules and implemented them from the Old Testament, which was kind of ironic because most of the dietary things that were put in place were for the Israelites and figuring out how to navigate and avoid disease living out in the wilderness. Some of it had to do with worship. You can see it outlined there is saying, listen, don't go back to that, building your own resume, merging a workspace religion with the grace of the gospel. So that's the big idea. Jesus came outside of the camp, outside of what was known with his sacrifice. Stay focused on that. I could unpack the text further. If you need more explanation than that, I'm happy to always pass that on. But the big idea is this, a willingness to break out of the old system, to embrace Jesus's finished work on the cross, releasing my futile efforts to please God. Final verses here, verse 15 says this, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right, so what is he saying here? Basically what is transition between the old covenant and the new covenant, how things were done before Jesus is you had a whole sacrificial system. We describe that quite a bit in this series and you see a little hints of that even in the last section of verses. But he's saying things have changed. Sacrifice looks different now. Now an act of sacrifice or an act of worship before God looks like acts of kindness, doing good and sharing what you have. It's not a, a matter of a burnt offering before God. He's saying how you can demonstrate a response to what you've experienced, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, how you can demonstrate your worship is then to, to pass that on, to be good to others, to share what you have. It's kind of getting back to just some of the fundamentals of living and being a, a bright, good citizen in our culture around us. 
I'm proud of the, our church so often with this. We just had an opportunity just a number of weeks back to support more compassion kids attached to churches that we've built overseas. And it was neat. I, I knew it going into it. I was like, man, a lot of our church family already has compassion kids that they're supporting. So this is going to be an add-on if they're going to support these new kids attached to new churches that we've built. But you guys remind, responded in a tremendous way. I knew it was a tug of war of what does it look like to share and do good. These are all charges for those of us who are actually wanting to live out our faith wanting to live the things in scripture. Somebody should be able to look at the lives of those of us who are in Christ in this community and be able to be like, well, man, they're, they're committed to their spouse. They're committed to serving and loving others, welcoming strangers. They're, they're committed to doing good and sharing. They're committed to all of these things. And man, they are above reproach. So any temptation that one might have to oppose a Christ follower attached to Agora Bible Fellowship, they have no grounds for that because we're a light on a hill, bright people, if you will. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to look at this section of scripture and how it's moving towards the application of un once we understand who you are, the natural response is man wanting to extend the same love that you've extended to us. God, we recognize that we need your support in this endeavor, that what comes naturally in the flesh is self and me and mine, but what you've called us to is others and strangers and sharing and being content, all of these things that take a complete transformation. So we plead for that. We ask for you to even do work on our lives in these different arenas in the week ahead. Thank you. Now we worship you in song. Amen.
church family. Well, thanks again for being with us online. As always, any way we can serve you in the week ahead. We don't want to just talk about being available to do good works. Uh, we want to be as a church people that are actually living it out. And so any way we can serve you as a staff, always feel the freedom to reach out. God bless you. Have an amazing day.